As a priest, today's feast is one of the, the most uh, celebrated feasts uh, for, for everyone, but particularly as a priest, it's because it's on this night, it's on this day that Jesus gave to the church the priesthood. And myself sharing that priesthood, it's a very, it's a very special day. It's a, um, it's a day that contains some type of celebration. We have now left Lent. We have now entered into the Holy Triduum. And it's time to rejoice in the great gifts that God has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, who became one of us, uh, who, who was born that first Christmas day. At this Mass, I want to speak specifically about three things. I want to first talk about the Holy Eucharist, which Jesus also gave to us on this night, of course, the priesthood. And then lastly, His commandment of fraternal charity, loving one another. So first of all, the Holy Eucharist. I hope and I pray that all of us, during this time of, of um, lockdown or whatever it's called, that as we're not able to come to Mass, I would pray that we all long for the Holy Eucharist. We don't always realize what a great gift it is and what a, a privilege it is to come to Mass. And, and here we are now on this Holy Thursday, where, where I look out and the pews are empty. There's just three of us here, uh, Deacon Dan, his wife Nancy, um, and myself, just three of us gathered here. But I, I pray that this time draws us closer to the Holy Eucharist, particularly that we allow, the, uh, we allow Christ, like gravity, to pull us towards him, and that we ache for him. I think of Psalm 95 or excuse me, Psalm 63, it's, it's prayed on, on Sunday mornings. Anyway, it says this, O God, you are my God, for you I long, for you my soul is thirsting, like a dry, weary land without water. Like a dry, weary land without water. That's, that's what I pray your hearts are, longing for the Holy Eucharist. When we receive Holy Communion, we receive all the graces necessary for salvation. All of the graces necessary for salvation are contained in just one reception of Holy Communion, in one little host. All the graces. And the reason why all the graces are, are present there is because that host is Jesus, and He's the one who brings us salvation. He's the one who gives us all the grace necessary for heaven. He's the one that opens heaven. As some of you know, on the first Friday of the month, I've been celebrating the extraordinary form of the Mass, um, the old Tridentine Mass. And as I've been celebrating, I've been, my Latin's been growing. It's, I've been coming to know more Latin. And one of the things I noticed, in particular as I was praying the Eucharistic prayer, that when it comes to uh, a certain part, it mentions about this hostia, hostia, hostia. It mentions hostia three times. And the English, and you'll hear it later today as, as I pray the, the Roman can, as I pray the Eucharistic prayer, where it'll say pure victim, holy victim, spotless victim. The word host that, that we use, you know, we come, we receive the host in Holy Communion, it comes from the Latin word hostia, which is the word for victim. I've never made that connection before, but I, I just recently, that the word host means victim. 
Probably not victim in the sense that you're thinking of it, but victim in the sense of what we heard in our first reading. That these lambs, who were, who were to be killed, and then their blood sprinkled on the, the houses, these lambs were victims. They were innocent, there was nothing, they've done nothing wrong. They were pure, they were holy, they were set aside. And these lambs were then, you know, killed so that the angel of death might pass over the house of those whose blood it is sprinkled upon. It's the whole story of Moses, you know, the, the ten plagues in Egypt, as many of you are familiar with. And it's then through that blood of the lamb that the people are set free from Egypt. They're able to leave Pharaoh, the slavery of Pharaoh. But those lambs are victims. They, they present themselves... And, and they're killed, they, they give their lives so that the people might have life. Jesus is the victim, he's the ultimate victim. He's the true unused day, the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he comes to us, first, you know, fully as we saw throughout his life, born that Christmas day, dying, you know, t tomorrow rising from the dead that first Easter Sunday. But he's a victim. He's done nothing wrong. He presents himself freely. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't run away. When, when um, he left the Last Supper, you know, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, all he would have had to do was just simply walk over the Mount of Olives, which wasn't very much, and he would have never even been caught. He knows that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He knows that he's going to be denied by Peter. He knows that the other apostles are going to flee. And yet, he chooses to be that victim. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, mute before the shearers, Jesus lays down his life. He becomes the hostia, the the, the host, the victim. But he's also a victim, of course, here at Mass. is why we call it the host, the victim. It's because when he presents himself to us in Holy Communion, in the Holy Eucharist, he, he gives himself to us as that, as this humble servant. And all of us who receive him, he comes into our hearts as this one giving his life completely for us, dying for us. The humility. In preparing for this homily, I also you know, couldn't stop and think about how many times you and I have received Holy Communion with little intention. Maybe even disrespectfully, you know, with, with mortal sin. And how Jesus still chooses to be the victim. He comes to us. And even though we don't receive him, even though we don't have love for him, he still presents himself as that victim. Even though Judas didn't have love for Jesus, even though the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees didn't have love for Jesus. Even though Pontius Pilate didn't have true love, the soldiers didn't have true love, Jesus presents himself to them. He's the victim. He's the hostia. 
the host who wants to come into our life to give us life. And what's so beautiful that when we receive that victim worthily, he becomes no longer a victim, but he becomes our savior. He, re he, he gives us life, and having risen from the dead, he right now is alive. As I'm speaking to you, he's alive, a human being in heaven, fully, completely, never to die again. And he calls us, he beckons us to come with him. So he gives himself in the Blessed Sacrament, in the Holy Eucharist, in Holy Communion, in the Mass, so that, so that we might give him worship, we might turn our hearts over to him, so that he might give us life, eternal life. So when, when we come back to, when all of you come back to Mass, be sure to open your hearts wide. Pray now already for, for the grace to receive Jesus in Holy Communion, that ostia, completely, fully worthily, with, with open hearts so that he might become our Savior, truly. Secondly, second point for the psalm, the priesthood. Jesus gave us the priesthood that the church might continue his ministry. It's through the priesthood that, that we have the sacraments. It's through the priesthood that we have the great sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. That we have confirmation, that we have the anointing of the sick, that we have confession. The only two sacraments that are present without the priesthood is the sacrament of baptism, because anyone can baptize validly. And anyone, you know, a man and a woman freely choosing each other, they can enter into the holy sacrament of marriage if there's no priest to be found. And the reason that's only those two sacraments is because by virtue of baptism, all, all believers, all people who have received baptism share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, though not the ministerial priesthood, which, which uh, Bishop Kagan and myself and all priests share in. So without the ministerial priesthood, we're left with just two sacraments. St. John Vianney said that without a priest, a town will soon begin to worship beasts, will begin to worship animals. He said that because uh, St. John Vianney, he lived during the French Revolution and there the parish that he first was assigned to as a priest, as a pastor. Uh, they hadn't had a priest for 10 years and when he showed up, that's exactly what they were doing. They have all but I think three people, three or four people in the town had completely left God and began to make everything else worth so much more than God. They worshiped other things. But with the priest, with the priest, our souls are able to be healed in the great sacrament of confession. Our souls are able to be nourished through the great sacrament of Holy Communion. Our souls are prepared for death through the great sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Through the sacrament of confirmation, we're able to be strengthened by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And of course, through the priesthood, through a bishop, another bishop is able to be ordained. Another priest is able to be ordained. <clears throat> Priests are the doctors of the soul. Priests are the doctors of the soul. That it's through the priest, and I can testify for myself, and I'm sure many of you can as well, 
that the reason why we're, we're Catholic, the reason that we're Christians, is because of priests. Even though priests are imperfect, God uses them. Even though priests are broken like everyone else, God uses the priests. He works through the priests to bring about good. But when a priest does not receive that gift fully from Christ, or receive it at all, then the priest becomes the, the greatest destruction of the church. So pray for priests. Through the priests, many are able to experience fatherhood. I've known during my time in Williston, even during my short time here, I've, I've come to know a lot of people and there's, it's surprising. Many of you have grown up in good families and you had a dad and mom in the house. But there are many who, who have just been in broken families and, and the priest becomes a sign of God's love. The sign that every dad ought to be. That the priest becomes this one who, who brings God's goodness. Who's able to tell others that God is real. And that God cares for them. The priest is a father, a spiritual father. And lastly, I want to mention this. There are three degrees to the priesthood. There's, first of all, the bishop, and then the presbyter, oftentimes called the priest, and then, lastly, the, the deacon. The bishop has the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, and it's only through a bishop that others are able to be ordained. But a priest, like I myself, I don't have faculties to do what I'm doing now unless the bishop gives it to me, which Bishop Kagan has granted. So I'm able to hear confessions, I'm able to celebrate the Mass. So every priest that you ever know, he must always be connected to the bishop. For the bishop is the one who's the successor of the apostles. He's an apostle himself. Then the final point that I want to, to talk about is, is Jesus' commandment of fraternal charity, the commandment to love one another as he has loved us. I, I think this is probably the hardest thing to do, fraternal charity. You know, we, we all have our fantasies of loving other people and how, how good we're at it, you know, in loving others. But, but when we're truly tested, as I know many of you are being tested now, you know, being in close quarters with family members, maybe spouses, you know, with others. Maybe for those of you who are living alone, I, that, that might be difficult. You know, the loneliness. But when, when, when people live together, as iron sharpens iron, so do human beings sharpen each other. And they're, they're able to grow in holiness. You know, I, I think of also married couples, you know, when, when someone graduates from high school, they think they're a pretty good person. You know, maybe from college, they think, oh, you know, I've grown, you know, I'm able to live by myself, provide. And then a person gets married, and one sees all these, <laughs> all these things that one is broken, you know, all, you know, the brokenness in oneself. And one thought, like, you know, I, I thought I could love people. But when you're stuck with someone... It, it becomes much more difficult. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Fraternal charity is a real thing, something that God gives to us, this ability to love others as He has loved us. 
But we can't love others unless we first experience his love for us. So if there's someone in your life who's really, maybe hates you or maybe, maybe you hate them, I don't know. Someone in your life who's really getting on your nerves now. Know that God is able to give to you the grace to love that person completely. As he loves them. He's able to give you that grace. But so often, you and I, we hang on to our brokenness. We hang on to the brokenness within our heart. And we don't want to take the effort to go before the Lord in prayer and ask Him to heal us. You know, when, when we see somebody, or somebody, you know, talks to us or says something to us, or we call to mind that thing that that one person has done, you know, in the past, how they've hurt us so badly, and this, this ache, this hurt just wells up within our hearts, this it almost like paralyzes us and, and we're, we're we, we just really can't you know let go of it that gut-wrenching feeling Jesus wants to heal Jesus wants us to bring that to him because when we bring that brokenness to him and we beg him you know day after day after day after day it doesn't just happen you know you know, like you throw a coin into a slot machine, you know, and then out pops, you know, the, the candy or whatever. It doesn't happen like that, but it's day after day after day after day saying, Lord, I need your help here. Please heal me. Help me to love that person like you love them. And then you're going to be set free. We're able to be set free from that hurt, that resentment. Because that's, that's exactly what it is. It's resentment. The word... You know, resentment comes from the Latin word, um, resentia, which means to feel again. And we keep feeling that hurt again and again and again. And Jesus can heal us. But only if we bring it to him. Again and again and again. It might take a month. It might take six months. It might take a year. It might take three years. I don't know. But Jesus can heal us, particularly through the sacrament of confession. When we bring that resentment to, to the priest in the sacrament, he can heal us of that and he strengthens us. That I don't keep blaming the other person for my hurt. But I recognize I need healing. Here's something to meditate upon. So the gospel that we just heard at the Last Supper... You know, Jesus goes through and he washes the people's feet, the apostles' feet. Have you ever thought and realized that Jesus washed Judas Iscariot's feet? Jesus washed Judas' feet, who had just sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Like, I mean, that's, that's how free we can be. That the one who just betrayed us, or is going to betray us. All those who are going to leave us forsaken. Jesus loves them till the end. That is what we are capable of through our baptism. Think of, 
And remember the love that Jesus has for Simon of Cyrene, who didn't want to help him carry the cross. He was forced by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross. But think of Jesus' love for him. Think of Jesus' love for the thief on the cross. Well, for both thieves. And then one of them receives the love. And think of Jesus' love for all those who killed him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he says. Fraternal charity is a real gift from God. It's something that all of us have or can receive. So let's pray for the grace that we might love those who are around us. Let's beg our Lord. At this Mass, let's beg our Lord for that grace. The grace to love Him with our whole heart. And then we're able to love others as He loved us. Let's also pray for the grace that we might receive God's love. So the Holy Eucharist, priesthood, and the commandment of fraternal charity to love one another as He has loved us.